So let's get this started. And now we go to the part, what should mm -hmm. we do? The investment tips. Okay. Um, well, one of them is to definitely start as soon as possible, even if it is with a small amount, because the learning curve is quite long and you're very likely to make a lot of mistakes in your first three to five years of investing, especially if you're a complete novice and if you haven't studied finance, um, if you don't know anything about the capital markets. And then it's best to make that, those mistakes with a few thousand euros rather than with the money you just collected by selling your company, because it's obviously a lot more painful if, if you, if you um, accrue a lot of losses. And the other thing, especially for entrepreneurs, is to take advantage of tax breaks when it comes to uh, long-term investment for retirement. Most countries in the world have some kind of tax break scheme or tax deferral scheme so entrepreneurs can invest um, tax-free or with deferred tax payments. That is very, very important um, because you do have to consider the long-term view. And as an entrepreneur, you do take quite a lot of risk in your life compared to people who are just in normal employees. So you do always have to put some money aside for the future um, in case there's some kind of downturn, in case you have a failure as an, as an entrepreneur, which can always happen. Um, and that actually leads to the second do, or actually that, that, that's another don't. Um, don't use your investment money, really make it off limits and don't use it for instance, to provide short-term liquidity to your company. Because a lot of employees who do that then end up losing both. Because if you have a liquidity problem in your company, this is always something that you should solve there. And your investment as a private individual is something that should be kept aside, really should be kept for the, for the future and should be How kept separate. How much liquidity should one keep aside? We have, I think, six months, right? Six months. How much should it be, really? Um, it, uh, I would say it really depends on what kind of business you have. Let's say you have a software business. It's a software as a service. You have, a, basically, you're billing your clients, they're paying for subscriptions. Um, you have a very steady client base. In that case, you're very, you can be very certain of your future liquidity. Um, in that case, I would say about three, three months might be enough, but normally it's about six months of liquidity um, that that should be in within within the company at least to pay for the fixed cost. And if you have more than six months, you should make something with it. Um, well, what what you can do in a treasury is either you can invest it in your company, but let's say for some reason you really have a lot of cash laying around, and you don't really you can't really reinvest it into your own business, It'll or it wouldn't make sense. People, innovation. Um, well, no, normally I think one of the easiest ones is usually marketing, especially with digital businesses. You say, okay, I have some extra cash laying around, I might invest it in online marketing, or um, there's all sorts of, there's always these like little odds and ends in a business that can be improved. Let's say then you can hire a consultant to, to look at your finances or to redo your product design or um, to, to, let's say, have, have an employee team building to kind of um, improve communication within the company. There's all sorts of things that that, uh, that you can do that will improve your business. But if you really have a lot of cash and there might be some situations where you might need to keep this cash or, and you might not be allowed to use it. Let's say if 
you have an account in which a lot of cash accrues for a future financing repayment. Let's say you have debt repayments. You can't really spend that money in the medium term. Um, you have to save it for two, three months because you know in two, three months it's going to leave your company either as a debt repayment or maybe as a dividend to investors. In, in that case, one thing you can definitely do is you can look at um, short-term deposits with banks or government bonds, uh, very, very safe securities to at least get a bit of return on that money if you can really not put it back into your company for external reasons, let's say, yeah, dividends, debt repayments, those kind of things. Um, that's something you can do with it. Other, otherwise, um, it's always a good idea to already have an investment plan and a bit of a budget that also accounts for excess profit. Let's say you, you kind of have a, an idea of how much profit you want to make and then you make more that you already know ahead of time, okay, if I exceed my goals, then I will reinvest the excess profit in this and that way into my company that you already have a list maybe of small projects or new products you might want to develop. You mentioned innovation, that you already say, okay, I have this idea and if I get some excess profit in the next two, three months, I'm going to put it towards testing this, this new idea that I have. It's, mm -hmm. it's good to be confirmed because in our programs, we, we, we build a lot of spreadsheets for our clients to manage their day-to-day mm -hmm. -day operations. And of course, we, we have to think their finances and the numbers are in the middle. And we have always, for the key KPIs that we measure every week, we always have goal, current, delta, goal, current, mm -hmm. delta, goal, current, delta. And some of them say, oh, but that's a lot of work. It's half an hour more that I need to put in. Simon, do I really need to do this? And we say, yes, do it. Because you need something to track so that you see your learning curve. Mm -hmm. You see where you are evolving and, and you can estimate much better what you can do in a week, what you can do in a month. And you can start having a growth plan, not just mm -hmm. planning, but a growth mm -hmm. plan with exactly all these points. So we're not financial experts, but we came to mm -hmm. similar ideas. Well, with, with finance, there's also some, some planning involved. And um, uh, just before we started, we talked about uh, corporate treasury. And maybe for those viewers out there who don't really know what corporate treasury is, um, usually it's larger corporations that have a treasury. And the treasury is the department that essentially manages the finances of the company in terms of managing the cash, managing currency conversions, um, hedging, for instance. This is usually a problem of larger companies that deal in, you know, have business in a lot of different countries or deal with commodities and have to hedge their prices for the products they're buying. Um, and the treasury usually also takes care of, of financing. This might be financing with investors, but also debt financing, so getting bank loans and all of these things. And um, in my consultancy businesses, I've seen a lot of things go wrong in terms of treasury. So even if you're a small, just, you know, solo entrepreneur or you have a few employees or a small business, um, even if you don't have a treasury, there's some treasury considerations to make. And we talked about those before uh, beforehand. And one of them is to have banking relationships with at least two different banks. This is, this is a very, very, very simple thing that can essentially save your business. Um, a lot of companies, they start out, they only have one bank account. Um, and that can be problematic because for one reason or the other, your bank account may be frozen, 
you might be abroad somewhere traveling to a foreign country and they might block your card and you might not be able to get the cash you need, let's say, or you might not be able to pay for your hotel or your food. That, that's a huge inconvenience. So in that sense, as a business, it's always a good idea to have a backup. So two different banks, not to, to bank with one single bank only, um, because there are several reasons. And this doesn't happen very often, but it does happen that your account might be frozen. Um, depending on what country you're in and the, the legal situation, for instance, in some countries, tax authorities can, if you're late on your taxes, freeze your accounts and just take the money. That by itself is usually not the problem. Once your account has been frozen, it might take weeks for it to be unfrozen again. And as a company, you might not be able to make payments for four to six weeks. And if that happens, that's a huge, huge inconvenience, especially if you only have one bank account. So you should definitely always have at least multiple bank accounts um, with more than one bank. And how often do you send the profit mm -hmm. part? Monthly, bi-weekly, weekly? Um, well, ideally, we'll also have separate sub-accounts for, um, if, even if as a company you don't have a budget, um, it's a good idea to have spending categories. Um, profit is one of them, um, financing and debt repayments is another, um, variable production, cost of production, such as marketing or freelancers, uh, fixed costs, you might have one for, um, a separate one for salaries and those kind of costs. And this, this kind of depends on how fast your business is. Let's say if you have a digital business based on subscriptions, this is something you might want to do every week because you want to measure how many new clients did you get, how many people signed up for your services, um, how much money came in in terms of, of payments. I mean, you should, you should look at your bank balance um, at least once a day. That's, that's a good idea. And these days, you know, with mobile banking apps, that's actually quite easy just to check. It takes 30 seconds. Um, but once a week, you should definitely sit I down. I automated it because <laughs> yeah. I never do that. But I should, as a CEO, so I, I get an email from my bank every day with the banking mm -hmm. balance, with the current one. Yeah, that's also, that's also a way of doing it because then you can check. Because it's also, it's extremely important um, to verify that important payments that you have to make were actually made in order to avoid future hassle. Those could be things like salary payments, uh, tax payments, because you know things can go wrong, especially let's say if you have externalized or outsourced accounting, um, not all payments might have been uploaded correctly. That's also something to check for. And then you could have a lot of hassle in the future. Let's say if you forget to pay an employee's salary, you, know, it's, you have 20 employees, 19 of them were paid and one wasn't paid, that employee might get very, very upset. They might not mention it immediately. So that's, that's one thing to they look out for. They usually mention it immediately. <laughs> well, it depends on their personality. Maybe they're really shy. I get or, a Slack message. You know, okay. Because some, some people, they might take it personally, especially if they see, okay, all of my colleagues have been paid. I haven't been paid. Did I do something wrong? You know, that's, so, so it's always good to, to verify. And especially if you, have to make things like tax payments because not making those on time or forgetting them entirely can lead to a lot of hassle. It can be very, very painful. You might even get fines depending on how late you are. So that is uh, certainly something profits. to avoid. I am surprised mm -hmm. by the amount of people 
we work with and in the in week zero so in setting up mm -hmm. working with us doing the strategy sprint which should double your monthly revenue we ask of course for the monthly revenue and when we ask for the monthly revenue we have a survey which also says what's your cost of delivering the goods what's your profit rate what what's your current profit this month and uh, similar stuff so the very basics also what what's the lifetime customer value and lifetime customer worth and I am surprised by how many do not have a, a, a good estimate, a current estimate of their profit. So maybe you explain for everybody what profit is. And uh, so if you run a business, what is really the number that you should know and uh, how often should you know it and how, how you do you calculate it? Um, well, it, it does depend a little bit on your business model. Let's say if you have a consulting business and you don't actually get paid regularly, but um, you have clients, you do a project, uh, you get paid at the end of a project. Of course, it's a very bis different business model to, let's say, having a subscription business where people pay up front every month. Um, you should definitely know your unit costs. Um, you should know your um, acquisition costs when, I, when it comes to acquiring new clients, so sales and marketing costs, or even direct acquisition costs, especially if you do a lot of online marketing. Um, fixed costs and then, of course, the cost of production. Um, of whatever product or service you are you are offering and you know if you have these then you will be able to calculate your profit and your profit margin and then when you know that you can basically work on increasing your profit margin or basically just expanding your business and uh, increasing your overall profit because obviously the fixed costs tend to remain the same and um, this is something I would say to, to look at every, every week or so, depending on your business model, um, especially if you have a fast moving uh, business with uh, fast turnover, then it's important to look at that, especially in terms of, of, of growth and meeting your goals. As you said with the KPIs, um, it's very important. It only takes half an hour, so it's not a lot of effort. And, and people tend to not want to do that because they think it's boring. But it's very, very important to know whether your profit, and especially your profit margin, is falling um, or rising at the moment. Because one thing that you could have, you could have rising profits but falling profit margins because there are more and more additional costs associated. Let's say it could be, it could be quiet client acquisition costs or um, you might need more people, you might need to hire new freelancers to generate that extra revenue. And at some point you might be running into shrinking profit margins and you might want to do something about that and take action. So that's something to, to look at, not just the profit, but also your profit margin. I can resonate so much. I am exactly one of these founder mm -hmm. CEOs who, who for years thought this is boring, just outsource it, let the bookkeepers do that. And now I realize I was so wrong. First, it's not boring, but it's mm -hmm. essential. That's the reality check of what you do. And second, it's even exciting because when you do it right, it's the art of growing a business. Mm -hmm. And the art is made of all these elements, the water and the sun and the, and the oxygen, etc. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the elements, profit, revenue, cost of goods. That's exactly, that's the elements you need to, to guard and to grow your business. And um, also one thing which was really important was to think about the pricing and also the terms of payments. So we used as a service business to be paid uh, at the end of the month. 
and it's normal in the industry, so we did it. But now that we, we switched, we, um, we considered going to a monthly retainer, which would also be a step forward. Uh, but we went directly to charging up front, and, and that is even better than a monthly retainer because now you have cash flow, now you have mm -hmm. re reliability, now you have numbers, now you have something to manage, and now it's not boring because now if you know what the profit part is and what the rest is, now you can start innovating, increasing the quality, maybe even increasing distribution, that's the last thing that we usually think of, but increasing the quality of what we do, making clients even happier, which will lead to more referrals. Mm -hmm. And um, But one part was exactly how do you, for a service business, how do you know the price of a unit, because you have so many units. You are reinventing the wheel with every phone call that you get, okay, I'm doing it, and then you start something, but you don't have one unit. What is one unit? That's usually in week one what mm -hmm. we work on with them. And then when you have one unit, some of them do not know what is the cost of acquisition. And um, so it's, it's many single parts. It's not so easy. So when, when somebody starts, okay, he, he, he saw this video and now he's okay, I'm gonna have two bank accounts. How to start? Well, I think, I mean, with, with these two different banks, especially when we're talking about um, acquisition co um, costs in consulting businesses. So it's a good idea to have sub-accounts because then at least you have cost categories and you could have one sub-account for sales and marketing um, or even separate those. Because especially, let's say you're in a consulting business. What happens a lot is that you go out and you meet clients for lunch, you meet potential clients for dinner and you basically talk about what it is that you have to offer. You meet other people that might be providing you with leads. And then it's great to just have a separate account for all of these things because normally you would be using a card to pay. Um, if, that, if that card is tied to that account, then it's very easy to say at the end of the month, this is how much I spent so on entertaining card. clients. It's, yeah, <laughs> that's basically your, your, your okay. you know, marketing and sales card. Um, or you could also you could combine it and this could be the credit card that you link to your you know, social media accounts for online marketing. And, and then you know, and then you know at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter, depending on how long your sales cycle is, how many clients you got and you already have basically that account and all the costs have been deducted from that account. So it's actually quite easy to then calculate, okay, well, I spent 12,000 euros and I got five new consulting clients. So that's, that's one of the easiest ways to do it. Because if all of your payments are amalgamated in just one account, it is very difficult to sort out because then you, know, you actually have to do uh, the whole controlling process and you have to build Excel sheets and you have to export all the data. But if you have one account that is dedicated towards client acquisition, then you basically see, okay, this is what I spent in the last month, three months, six months. You just have to look at it. And it might not be as precise as what a controlling department or a good controller might do, but it definitely gives you a rough idea, especially as a small company, if you do not have a separate person uh, dedicated to the task of financial controlling. Cool. That's, uh, that's, that's one of the ways to do it. And the other thing you mentioned is uh, bill collection. That's actually very, very important, especially for consultancy businesses. Because I've, I've worked with some consultants that have told me that they spent 20% of their time running after their money for uh, 
consultancy projects they've already completed. And this is a huge inconvenience because what happens a lot of times, especially if you're an experienced consultant, and if you can solve a big problem for a company within two, three days, because you are well connected, you already, you know, you've done this 10 times before and they have no idea how to do it. But for you, it's just, you know, it's a very, very simple task because of your experience, because you know exactly, let's say, you know, I, I sometimes help companies get financing. Um, I know exactly how to prepare the numbers. They have no idea, they don't really know how to talk to their bank, but um, you know, I've worked with banks for several years, so for me this is very easy. And then they might say, okay, well you only did one or two days of work and they got their financing, so they're happy, the task has been completed from their side. So they might say, well, you know, why should we, they might, they, you know, they might try to argue about the payment. They might say, well, you know, you, you really didn't do that much. Um, so they might not be willing to pay. So in, in that sense, it's very important to have clear payment terms and it's even more important to enforce them. So as you said, with your business, it's ideal to ask for upfront payment. Um, other consultants also depends on how many references you have, uh, what, kind, you know, what your reputation in the market is. Um, you should at least try to ask for 50% upfront because having to run after your money, it really, it takes a lot of time. It's very inconvenient. You have to harass people. Sometimes you really have to harass and hassle people. Um, you have to call them, write them emails. So it's very good to have payment terms, let's say 30 days or 60 days. And um, once that time limit has been exceeded to actually send reminders, one, two, three reminders, and then to actually, to actually take legal action. Because that way you teach your clients that it's not okay to not pay you. And a lot of consultants do have that problem off and on. Um, if you ask for at least 50% upfront payment, you will already, that's a good indication of whether or not the client is generally willing to pay for your service. Because if they already say, look, we, we don't trust you enough to give you 50% upfront, in that case, maybe something has gone wrong in the sales cycle. Maybe they don't really trust you. Maybe they don't really want to hire you. Maybe they just kind of want to see what you can do as a consultant, but they're not really willing to pay for your service. In that case, it's actually better to find different clients because if that relationship of trust hasn't been established, it is very likely that the project will just go south rather quickly. Absolutely. We have a PDF on our site, mm -hmm. on strategiesprints.com, which is the a guide on how to find the right pricing mm -hmm. for your service business. And um, so the, the first category that we explain there is the pricing per time. Mm -hmm. And um, we show how that you should quickly move upwards to a retainer or directly to charging a product, mm -hmm. how you can do it. There are nine things that you need to do in your offering. So it's an irresistible offer and then you can do it. And of course you need some credibility, um, but there are steps to build it up. And, and then it's definitely better to charge upfront mm -hmm. or packaging, so never mm -hmm. by time, because you lose a lot of freedom and especially from the financial standpoint, you don't have a reliable cash flow, which means all this volatility makes it a guesswork. How many people should I hire? Mm -hmm. For what? Is my growth plan realistic? Are the ranges going to... You don't know if you have this kind of volatility, but, but if you can have such kind of volatility, then you can manage money. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's very important. Also in terms of um, you know, ensuring your liquidity as, as a consultant, 
because there's one of the most inconvenient things for consultants that I've seen is that people have completed huge, huge projects over the course of two to three years. And we're talking projects worth almost half a million as a single consultant, which is a lot of money. And then you have to spend two, three months chasing after your money. That is really, you know, after you've already put in two, three years of work, after you've already had expenses, um, that is that is very, very, very inconvenient. So it's always good to at least, yeah, as you say, you know, move from being paid for your time to charging a monthly retainer to charging a certain amount upfront and ideally um, to upfront payment. I'm curious what you say. I had the privilege, mm -hmm. I had um, a great boss. So um, my first boss in, in St. Gallen in Switzerland mm -hmm. was Professor Malik and he had this provocative notion that he would say capitalism is not what most people say, that it's a game about maximizing profit. It's not. He would always say and he would be very irritating <laughs> to talk with mm -hmm. about that, but he had a firm position, he said capitalism is the game of achieving the minimum profit and reinvesting everything else. And he would he had this metaphor of monopoly of this game mm -hmm. where you buy real estate and you have to pay mm -hmm. when you when you pass by the houses. And and he would say it's not about having a lot of houses. It's about that every time you pass you need the liquidity. Every time you pass by a house you have to be capable of paying right now whatever mm -hmm. you have to pay. So it's the minimum amount. And that changed how I think about money. So, and I think it was a very important nudge to give to a young person to say, be careful, it's the minimum game, it's not the maximum game. And if you play it long enough, then you compound. Mm -hmm. But this is what can kill your business. And it's next Friday, you have to pay a big amount of money. And you weren't expecting that. I mean, that, that, that's certainly one of the things um that a lot of, especially entrepreneurs that have small businesses that are just starting out, those are sometimes the troubles they face. And I, I, I like the idea, um, you know, of how your professor described uh, well-working capitalism, because a lot of people tend to think that it's short-term profits. Now, the thing is, um, everything works better if you look at it from a long-term point of view in terms of long-term profits. And in that sense, it's also good to sacrifice the present for the future to make smaller profits now in order to ensure your liquidity, in order to ensure, and especially when it comes to investing, that you have enough liquidity when an amazing opportunity comes along. Let's say there is an opportunity for an amazing project, an amazing business deal, an amazing partnership or expansion, and you would really like to do it in your business, but you don't have the liquidity right now because you, maybe you took out too much in profit. Uh, maybe you just focused on, on the short term and you said, okay, well, I'm not gonna provide for future liquidity. I'm just gonna keep the absolute minimum. And um, the thing is, this is actually not necessarily a problem with capitalism. Um, one of the things that I really, really love studying is uh, neuroeconomics and behavioral economics. And our human brain often tricks us because our brains, our like evolutionary lizard brains, are geared towards short-term thinking immensely. Basically, there's a huge part of our brain that is just there to make sure we survive the next 30 minutes. 30 minutes? It, yeah, it's, it's basically, <laughs> not that, 30 minutes is not, it's not the exact scientific figure, but essentially that part of the brain so is sorry. just there for immediate 
you know, getting immediately getting to security, so immediate threats, immediate protection, or immediate satisfaction. That is, you know, let's say, in terms of eating, you know, let's say you walk past the bakery and you see a lot of, you know, really, you know, some really nice bread or a lot of nice like patisserie sweets and that part of your brain thinks eat it eat it right now you have no idea when you know when 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 the next time is going to be where you're going to find food so and and that also hugely affects your economic decision making there's there's a there's a whole field of science about that that studies how we make economic decisions decision making when it comes to money and that type of short-term thinking actually leads us to make a lot of financial and investment mistakes um, because we don't really, it's very difficult for us to really look at the, at the long run. But as an entrepreneur, it's a very, very good idea to, to look at that and, and to, to also not project or, or put too much risk into the future. Because you might want to say, okay, well, I will deal with that problem when we get there. And in, in some cases, you will have to do that. But in terms of financing your company, that's, that's also one of the things that, that I had on my list for today. One of the most basic mistakes that, um, let's say, neo-entrepreneurs make or first-time entrepreneurs, small businesses, is financing incongruency. Let's say you have a long-term project, three-year project, whatever that might be, and you take on external financing. But external, the external financing you take on is for a much, much shorter term. So let's say you have a three-year project and you take on financing that you have to repay after one year. That is something that can really, really burden a business. Generally, when you have externally financed projects, the financing should be as long as the project period itself. Because if you have to refinance and refinance and refinance um, every few months, first of all, it's a lot of work, it's a real hassle, and you might be in a liquidity squeeze right that moment for whatever reason. This, this happened, for instance, 2008, 2009, that um, in the real estate markets, that a lot of developers or real estate investors had taken on rather short-term financing and then they had problems because all of a sudden you just couldn't refinance the market for it wasn't there the banks were just not financing so that's something that's very important to consider that to always match the the term of your financing to the length of your project or the investment that you want to make entrepreneurial freedom is awesome it's also a lot of hard work to get there. And when you are there, it's easy to lose your grip. Our community of 16,000 entrepreneurs is getting stronger and stronger every week because we amplify each other. We share what works and drop the rest. We test, refine, improve. Check strategysprints.com to build up your business and have fun doing it.